Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a growing health crisis. The number of people struggling with mental health issues has skyrocketed amid the pandemic, and the impact can be long-lasting, leading some experts to call mental health the epidemic within the pandemic. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Dr. Susie Garani from the Patuxent River Naval Health Clinic to talk about the pandemic's impact on our mental health, how to recognize depression, cope with feelings of anxiety and stress, and where to find help. This is a very important conversation. Dr. Garani, thank you so much for being here today. So doctor, there's a lot of uncertainty associated with COVID-19. We are nearly two years into the pandemic and many of us are experiencing a type of burnout that experts refer to as COVID fatigue. What are some of the emotions people might be feeling at this time? The social effects from the COVID pandemic has been so stressful on people. It's really taking its toll. We have been seeing a significant increase in consults into our behavioral health clinic because of these emotions that people are feeling. And although the public health actions, such as social distancing, is crucial to to reducing the spread of the COVID-19, However, it has led many to feel isolated and lonely and increase the incidence of depression and anxiety. There are many factors that go into the way people cope with stress, especially during a pandemic like the one we're going through. It can depend on a person's background, social support from family and friends, their financial situation, their health and emotional background, and the community in which you live. However, we're finding some people respond more strongly to the stressors of a pandemic, such as people who are at a higher risk for severe illness. We're also finding that children and teens have been significantly affected by the isolation and the changes in their lifestyle, such as the closing of schools and trying to do um, video schooling. And there are other people who are more exposed to the effects of the coronavirus, such as the frontline workers. In addition, many of um, racial and ethnic minority groups, especially people who English is not their primary language, have a difficult time understanding exactly what the pandemic is about and the dangers they may be facing. So as I always advise, especially during a stressful period, is that we really need to be kinder and gentler to each other. And we need to learn skills to help us manage our stress as well as fight for a society that's more equitable, resilient, and simply more tolerant of each other. It's important we all help each other get through this. So what concerns do you have about the long-term impact COVID could have on someone's mental health? COVID-19 has and continues to have a significant impact on people's mental health. We certainly have seen an uptick in the anxiety and depressive disorders in our clinic, whether it's people who've never experienced it before or worsening of an existing condition, whether it's anxiety, stress, depression, loneliness, the pandemic has become a roller coaster ride of emotions for many. So not only is coronavirus itself traumatic, but also the lack of human contact from social isolation could be negatively impacting our mental health. 
There have been studies that show physical changes to your brain due to isolation. So the longer the quarantine lasts, the greater the psychological impact is expected. Another study I want to mention is that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful for our physical and mental health as obesity. Times of high stress may also lead to a relapse of chronic anxiety disorders because of financial uncertainty, fear of getting sick, dealing with a sick loved one, or trying to take care of your children who are at home trying to do schoolwork and you're trying to do your own work and it gets very confusing and muddled and stressful. Doctor, how can we best cope with the added stress and anxiety? The added stress and anxiety surrounding the COVID-19 is, is becoming a chronic kind of stress, which can make many people feel like they're in a constant flight or fight state, which physiologically causes our stress hormone, cortisol, to rise. And this in turn, amongst many other things it causes, is an inability to rationally make decisions. So to explain the brain a little bit, we consider the brain as neuroplastic. The connections between the brain regions readjust in accordance to the way we are thinking. By exercising your brain through volitional healthy thoughts, you can modify these connections. However, you can also cause it to have chronic anxiety and depression by inundating yourself with negative thoughts, which are in many times influenced by nonstop social media and the news. Some things you can do are to establish and maintain a routine, such as your meals, sleep, exercise, activity to include a positive, fun activity that you would be looking forward to doing. Taking care of your body with a healthy diet, plenty of sleep, regular exercise, and give yourself time to unwind. It's also important to connect with others. Talk with people who you trust about your concerns, about how you're feeling, connect with your community or a faith-based organization if that's what's important to you, and establish a plan of what you will do if you become sick or having serious worries about the COVID-19. There's certainly no one-size-fits-all way to reduce stress, but it is important to find what works for you. You mentioned a connection between chronic stress and depression. What is depression and what causes it? Yes, definitely. Major depression is one of the most common mental health illnesses. It affects 14.8 million American adults each year. Everyone experiences feelings of sadness on occasion. However, we become concerned if it becomes persistent, maybe major depression. It may be described as feelings of sadness, loss or anger that interferes with a person's everyday activity, such as lost hours at work, lower productivity, it could even worsen some chronic illnesses such as asthma, arthritis, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes. There has been a lot of research done on major depression. Research suggests that it's not only related to the chemical imbalances in our brain. Rather, there are many possible causes for depression, such as family history, genetics. You're at higher risk for developing depression if you have a family history of depression or other mood disorders. Early childhood trauma may affect the way your body reacts to fear and stressful situations. Brain structure. 
there's a great risk of depression if the frontal lobe of your brain is less active. There are other medical conditions that could put you at higher risk, such as chronic illness, insomnia, chronic pain, or even ADHD. And definitely drug and alcohol use can put you at increased risk. So there are many possible causes, which include a combination of biologic, psychological, and social sources of distress. So what are some of the signs and symptoms of depression? And how do we differentiate feelings of stress and anxiety from the bigger mental health issue? Feeling down from time to time is a normal part of life. But when emotions such as hopelessness and despair take hold and just won't go away, this makes us think more about major depression. It's more than just sadness in response to life's struggles and setbacks. Depression changes how you think, feel, and function in daily activities. It can interfere with your ability to work, study, eat, sleep, and enjoy life. Just trying to get through the day can be overwhelming. While some people describe depression as living in a black hole or having a feeling of impending doom, others feel lifeless, empty, and apathetic, while others can feel anger, irritability, and restlessness. However a person experiences depression, left untreated, it can become a serious health condition. But it's important to remember that feelings of helplessness and hopelessness are symptoms of depression, not the reality of your situation. No matter how hopeless you feel, you can get better. So common symptoms of depression, feeling of helplessness and hopelessness, a bleak outlook on life, nothing will ever get better, and there's nothing you can do to improve your situation. Loss of interest in daily activities, you don't care anymore about former hobbies, pastimes, and social activities. You've lost your ability to feel joy and pleasure. You can have changes to your appetite, your weight. Sleep changes are very common. You can be angry, irritable, feeling agitated, restless, or even violent. Your tolerance level is low and temper is short, and everything, everyone, gets on your nerves. Loss of energy, feeling fatigued, sluggish, and physically drained, self-loathing, strong feelings of worthlessness or guilt. Another sign is reckless behavior. People engage in escapist behaviors. They want to escape from the way they're feeling, such as substance abuse, compulsive gambling, reckless driving, and dangerous sports. Many have concentration problems, trouble focusing, making decisions, or remembering things, unexplained aches or pains, and an increase in physical complaints such as headache, back pain, specifically low back pain, aching muscles, and stomach pain could be a sign of depression too. Since anxiety makes depression worse and vice versa, it's really important to notice if you have symptoms of one or the other or both. And it's very important to bring this up with your healthcare provider. It's always a good idea to let your doctor know how you're feeling. So how is depression diagnosed and treated? Your provider may administer one of several standard depression, anxiety, and sleep questionnaires. And then they'll want to discuss them with you and discuss your moods, your sleep patterns, activity levels, thoughts, appetite. And definitely, don't be shocked, they will ask you about suicidal thoughts. Because depression can be linked to so many other health problems, your provider may also conduct a physical exam and order blood work such as thyroid or vitamin deficiency screening. Major depression is a serious but treatable illness. Depending on the severity of your symptoms, your provider may recommend treatment with an antidepressant medication. 
They may also suggest psychotherapy or talk therapy, in which you address your emotional state. There are other treatment options for clinical depression, such as electroconvulsive therapy, otherwise known as shock therapy, and TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. This is a little farther along. At this time in the fall, when people start experiencing the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder, which is now called major depressive disorder with seasonal pattern, light therapy seems to help people who are suffering from seasonal affective disorder. Light therapy is when we give doses of white light that can help regulate the mood and improve symptoms of this type of depression. In addition, researchers suggest two vitamins are especially useful for easing symptoms of depression. Vitamin B, B12, and B6 are vital to your brain's health. Vitamin D, sometimes also known as the sunshine vitamin because exposure to the sun supplies it to your body. Vitamin D is important for brain, heart, and bone health. And then we have some alternative therapies, such as acupuncture, meditation, herbal supplements. But make sure you speak with your physician before trying any of these to make sure they're not contraindicated with your other health issues. I've heard depression is more prevalent in women than men. Is this true? Yes, this is exactly true. Women are nearly twice as likely as men to be diagnosed with depression. And it can occur at any age. However, women tend to go through different stages throughout life, and we'll go through some of these. Some of the mood changes and feelings of depression may occur with normal hormonal changes, but hormonal changes alone don't cause depression. Other biological factors, inherited traits, and a person's life circumstances and experiences are associated with a higher risk of depression. Girls typically reach puberty before boys. Regular mood swings are normal, However, hormonal changes may cause depression, and because of this, they are more likely to develop depression at an earlier age than boys. During puberty, both boys and girls experience other issues that may lead to depression, such as emerging sexuality and identity issues. There's the conflicts with the parents, and many have a tendency to put increased pressure on themselves to achieve in school, sports, and other areas of life. After puberty, depression rates are higher in females than males. Women can experience mood disorders associated with their menstrual cycles. However, when it becomes a debilitating, it may be premenstrual dysphoric disorder, a mood disorder characterized by depressive symptoms that occur prior to the start of the menstrual cycle. And later in life, the risk of depression may increase due to the transition to menopause. This transition period is called perimenopause, when hormone levels may fluctuate erratically. Depression risks may also rise during early menopause or after menopause, both times when estrogen levels are significantly reduced. Pregnancy is another area where there are some dramatic hormonal changes, which can increase the risk of depression. In addition to hormonal changes, Pregnancy can bring on additional life stressors, such as work changes, relationship problems, lack of social support, and changes in medications. For some women, there is an increased pressure of getting pregnant, miscarriage, infertility, or an unwanted pregnancy. They can all result in significant stress and developing depression. Following pregnancy, some women experience postpartum depression. Mood changes are normal, but serious, long-lasting, depressed feelings may indicate postpartum depression. 
Signs and symptoms include crying more often than usual, low self-esteem, or feeling like you're a bad mom, anxiety or feeling numb, trouble sleeping, even when your baby's sleeping, problems with daily functioning, inability to care for your baby, thoughts of harming your baby, thoughts of suicide. Postpartum depression requires prompt treatment. The high rate of depression in women isn't due to biology alone. Life circumstances and cultural stressors can play a role too. Unequal power and status. Women are much more likely than men to live in poverty. Women also experience work overload. Often women work outside the home and yet still handle home responsibilities. Many women deal with the challenges of single parenthood, such as working multiple jobs to make ends meet. Also, women may be caring for their children while also caring for a sick and older family member. Women are also more likely than men to experience sexual abuse. Other conditions that can occur with depression and anxiety in women are eating disorders and drug or alcohol misuse. If I'm feeling depressed or notice that someone I know, love, may be experiencing depression, what should I do? First off, you need to talk to the person. Let them know what you've noticed and why you're concerned. People with depression may not realize or acknowledge that they're depressed. They may not even be aware of signs and symptoms of depression. They may think that what they're feeling and experiencing is normal. All too often people feel ashamed about their depression and mistakenly believe they should be able to overcome it with willpower alone. But depression seldom gets better without treatment, and it may get worse. So, also suggest seeking help from a trained professional. Be willing to listen to them, but avoid giving advice or opinions or making judgment. Remind your loved one about their positive qualities and how much the person means to you and others. Help create a low-stress environment for them. Creating a regular routine may help a person with depression feel more in control, Locate helpful organizations. A number of organizations offer support groups, counseling, and other resources for depression. Make plans together. Ask your loved one to join you on a walk. See a movie. And in these times, maybe schedule to watch the movie at exactly the same time while speaking on speakerphone so you can enjoy the movie at the same time. Or you can video chat and work on a hobby that you both enjoy. And most definitely, if they've been in treatment and they're taking medications, encourage them to stick with that treatment. Help them remember to take prescribed medications and keep their appointments. However, you must be aware that helping someone with depression can really take a toll on yourself. It isn't easy. Ask other relatives or friends to help and take steps to prevent becoming frustrated and burned out. How do we know what is abnormal behavior and when do we know it's time to call for help? The most serious abnormal behavior when we're talking about depression is suicide. People with depression are at an increased risk for suicide. If your loved one is severely depressed, prepare yourself for the possibility that at some point he or she may feel suicidal. Take all signs of suicidal behavior seriously and take action if necessary. Talk to the person about your concerns. Ask them if they've been thinking or attempting suicide or have ever had a plan to do so. Seek help. Contact a medical provider, mental health provider, family member, close friends. Let them all know what's going on. 
Call a suicide hotline, such as National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, at 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255, to talk to a trained counselor. You can also press 1 to reach the Veterans Crisis Line. Make sure the person is in a safe environment. Eliminate things that could be used to attempt suicide, for example, remove firearms or other weapons, or a stockpile of medications. Call 911 or your local emergency number immediately if the person is in danger of self-harm or suicide. Make sure someone stays with that person at all times, even if they have to go to the restroom. Some warning signs that you should be aware of and look for is that a person starts to talk about suicide. They may make a statement such as, I'm going to kill myself. I wish I were dead. I wish I hadn't been born. Getting the means to attempt suicide. If they're buying a gun or stockpiling on their pills, withdrawing from social contacts and wanting to be left alone, having mood swings, emotional high one day and deeply discouraged the next, being preoccupied with death, dying, and violence, feeling trapped or hopeless about a situation, increasing their use of drug or alcohol, changing their normal routine, including eating or sleeping patterns, doing risky or self-destructive things such as using drugs or driving recklessly. Giving away belongings is a big one. If they start getting their affairs in order when there's no other logical explanation for why this is being done. Saying goodbye to people as if they won't be seeing them again. And you may notice them developing some personality changes such as being severely anxious or agitated, particularly when experiencing some of the other signs and symptoms I just listed. When you're feeling depressed or suicidal, your problems don't seem temporary. They seem overwhelming and permanent. There are many people who want to support you during this difficult time. So please reach out to someone. Call the hotline. Again, 1-800-273-TALK. I'd like to take a moment to talk about the importance of self-care. Many of us have so many responsibilities in life that we often forget to take care of our personal needs. And I think that's especially true with everyone trying to juggle life and the pandemic. So why is self-care so important? And what are some of the things we can do daily to prevent burnout and depression? Self-care is crucial to feeling better. However, it does take time. But you can get there by making some positive choices for yourself. For starters, you can reach out to other people. Isolation fuels depression. So reach out to friends and loved ones, even if you feel like being alone and don't want to be a burden on others. The simple act of talking to someone face-to-face -face about how you feel can be an enormous help. The person you talk to doesn't have to be able to fix you. They just need to be a good listener. Someone who will listen attentively without being distracting or judging you. Another thing you can do is to get moving. When you're depressed, just getting out of bed can seem daunting, let alone exercising. But do try to exercise regularly. Aim for 30 minutes of physical activity for three to five times a week. Cut back on social media time. Listening to too much news can really make a person overly anxious. And make sure that you are regularly connecting with your family and friends. Build strong relationships, strong support systems, 
active social life. Attend social events, even if online, when you can, and finding new hobbies that can help you meet other new people with a common interest. Minimize your daily choices. Having too many choices can actually cause significant distress and can lead to depression. Learning to say no. Setting boundaries in your professional and personal life can help you feel better. And there's a polite way to say no. Practicing mindfulness or meditation, learning to let things go that you cannot control. And very importantly, maintain your treatment plan. If you have already experienced one depressive episode, there's a strong chance that you will experience another episode. Continuing prescription medications and never stopping them abruptly is crucial. Having maintenance visits with your therapist ever so often, even when in remission. In addition, make sure that you're constantly practicing the strategies and coping mechanisms that your therapist has taught you. Make sure you're getting high quality sleep. It's necessary for both mental and physical health. People with insomnia have a tenfold risk of developing depression compared to those who sleep well. To get better sleep, it's recommended you do not look at any screen, computer screen, telephone screen, for two hours prior to bedtime. Try meditating before bed. Have a comfortable mattress and avoid caffeine after noon. Another really important self-care measure is to stay away from anyone who makes you feel worse about yourself. Cut people out of your life who take advantage of you. Eat a well-balanced meal with lean protein and a lot of fruit and vegetables. Reduce high sugar and high fat foods. Eliminate processed foods from your diet as much as possible, which is going to be difficult since the holiday season is upon us. Incorporate more omega-3s in your diet with foods like salmon or nuts. Maintain a healthy weight. Get off nicotine. Smoking and major depression can perpetuate each other. Plan for unavoidable triggers. For example, anniversaries, birthdays, death, seeing an ex. So plan ahead. Remind yourself that you will get through it. If you're concerned, you can also make an appointment with your therapist for more tips on how to manage your feelings. Now's the time of year when the days get shorter, the weather gets cooler, and we can't spend as much time outdoors safely socializing with others. How do we cope with this potential seasonal mood shift? And what do we do if our feelings are more than just the winter blues? Seasonal affective disorder is more than just the winter blues. These symptoms can be distressing and overwhelming and can interfere with daily functioning. However, it can be treated About 5% of adults in the U.S. experience seasonal affective disorder, and it typically lasts about 40% of the year. It's more common among women than men. Seasonal affective disorder has been linked to a biological imbalance in the brain, prompted by shorter daylight hours and less sunlight in the winter. As the seasons change, people experience a shift in their biological internal clock, or circadian rhythm that can cause them to be out of step with their daily schedule. Some common symptoms of seasonal affective disorder include fatigue, even if they're oversleeping, weight gain associated with overeating, and carbohydrate craving. Symptoms can vary from mild to severe and may include many symptoms similar to major depressive disorder, such as sadness, the decreased interest in pleasurable activities, and their 
appetite, sleep, energy, concentration is not as usual. Just like depression, they may develop feelings of worthlessness or guilt. They have difficulty thinking, concentrating, or making decisions. And they even have some thoughts of death or suicide. Seasonal affective disorder may begin at any age, but it typically starts when a person is between 18 and 30. Seasonal affective disorder can be very effectively treated in several ways, including the light therapy, antidepressant medication, talk therapy, and some combination of all of these. While symptoms will generally improve on their own with the change of the season, symptoms can improve more quickly if you're getting treatment. Taking care of your general health and wellness can also help. Regular exercise, healthy eating, getting enough sleep, and staying active and connected. Other therapies are similar to those for major depressive disorder, including cognitive therapy, talk therapy, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors such as Zoloft, Prozac, and Lexapro, Celexa, and that classification of medications has found to be very effective in treating seasonal affective disorder. And with the colder temperatures and the shorter days comes the holiday season, certainly a time of joy and celebration, but the added stress of the holidays can also bring on or worsen anxiety and depression, especially as we continue to socially distance and deal with the challenges of the pandemic. Doctor, how can we best cope this time of year and, and how can we help those around us who are struggling? Yes, this year is going to be difficult with COVID pandemic and the holidays upon us. People can really start feeling socially isolated and should really try to take measures to help themselves in this regard. Social isolation or perceived isolation and loneliness are associated with an increased sympathetic nervous system activity, increased inflammation, and decreased sleep, all of which can accelerate your brain and cardiovascular aging. In particular, isolation and loneliness during the pandemic may present specific mental health risks for households with adolescents or for older adults. Polling has shown that women with children under the age of 18 are more likely to represent major negative mental health impacts than their male counterparts. Just like the body needs physical activity, the brain also needs cognitive skills and activities to sustain itself. So what are things that people can do to help feed their brains during this time? Well, at all times, but especially during this pandemic period, turn ordinary activities into brain-stimulating activities. Some things you can do are such as take a walk. Stimulate your brain by walking to notice something new or taking a different route each time. When talking on the phone to a friend or family member, you can try to use more attention to detail in expressive language to really describe your surroundings, as well as what you can see and hear. Get out as much as you can. Getting outside every day, even for a short period of time, can also improve your mood. Not only is a little sun great for vitamin D production, but a walk or jog helps strengthen the body and increase heart rate, which pumps more oxygen to the brain. You can think about learning something new or returning to a hobby you haven't done in a while. The best activities for brain health are the ones that challenge your brain to be quick and accurate. 
Have a musical instrument sitting in your closet or garage? Now is maybe a really good time to try to pull it out, dust it off, and try it again. Have you always enjoyed board games? Learn the rules and strategies to a new one. Dust off those old scrapbook supplies and use one of those adult coloring books that are so popular now. Crafting has shown to help relieve stress and focus the mind. You can try to do some brain training. And again, even though it's going to be more difficult with the upcoming holiday period, eat a healthy anti-inflammatory diet and make sure you're getting adequate sleep. Eating high quality whole foods like green vegetables, fruit, quality proteins, and healthy fats will help keep our mind and body healthy. And again, make sure that you're getting that good, adequate, quality sleep, which will do wonders when it comes to improving your health, memory, and focus, and even putting you in a better mood. The important part is you take steps to take care of you. Dr. Garani, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about mental health, how to cope with our feelings during the pandemic, and how to support friends and family members having a difficult time. If you are struggling with mental health, please reach out and get help. Take care of each other, stay safe out there, and as always, thanks for listening.